Welcome back to Here and There, the podcast of the Dramatic American Institute. This is Günther. Today's show features a quick summary of recent news of Austria and Germany's involvement in the Russia-Ukraine war. And for part two, we are taking you all the way back to 2018 in those pre-pandemic days. And we'll chat with four St. Thomas students about a project with lasting impact. This is the podcast of the Germanic American Institute. Welcome. Welcome. Where Germanic-speaking European countries... Germany. Deutschland. Austria. Österreich. Switzerland. Schweiz. Blend with the Midwestern United States. Hallo. Servus. We are here and there. And we invite you to come along on the journey. To begin in recent Ukraine news, where Germany is still weighing the options between various competing responsibilities, in a lengthy interview with Germany's magazine Der Spiegel, Chancellor Olaf Scholz considered that NATO must avoid a direct military confrontation with Russia that could lead to a third world war. He cited those considerations as the main reasons for the absence of direct participation when asked about Germany's failure to deliver heavy weapons to the Ukraine. Schulz is facing growing criticism in Germany and, of course, abroad as well for the government's apparent reluctance to deliver heavy battlefield weapons such as tanks and howitzers. Germany's absence is especially pronounced as other Western allies stepped up shipments to the Ukraine. Asked in an extensive interview published on Friday at Reuters, why he thought delivering tanks could lead to a nuclear war, he said that there was no rule book that stated when Germany could be considered a party to the war in Ukraine. Simultaneously, though, when Scholz was asked why he would not explain that his government's reluctance was due to the threat of nuclear war, he simply said such simplifications were not helpful. In the recent Ukraine summaries, we've mentioned Germany's various dependencies on Russian imports, most importantly, natural gas. Continuing the discrepancy here, in a separate conversation published by Reuters again, Schulz defended his decision not to immediately end Germany's imports of Russian gas in response to the invasion of the Ukraine. He's quoted saying, I absolutely do not see how a gas embargo would end the war. If Putin were open to economic arguments, he would never have begun this crazy war, Schultz said. To the interviewer, he then remarked, Secondly, you act as if this was all about money, but it's about avoiding a dramatic economic crisis and the loss of millions of jobs and factories that would never open again their doors. Schultz said that this would have considerable consequences not just for Germany, but also for Europe and the future financing of the reconstruction of the Ukraine. Quasi as a German political bullhorn, SPD politician Michael Roth left his Twitter account in the control of Ukrainian Konstantin Krenitsky for about three days. Krenitsky is an attorney and the head of the energy department of a Ukrainian NGO called EcoAction. He summarized Germany's response as Germany is politically the most powerful and economically the strongest country in Europe. From a Ukrainian point of view, Germany needs to lead instead of just follow 
and react to what other countries do. Germany should lead, but it chose not to. In all, Germany continues to wrestle with its position between its heavy reliance on Russian import and its moral and ethical responsibility as the leading country of the European Union. Meanwhile, the Austrian Chancellor Karl Nehammer had traveled to Moscow for talks with Putin that he called direct, open and tough. After the talks, Nehammer was quick to dump any hopes of a swift end to the Russian war in the Ukraine. Certainly, the Austrian political circles were quick to critique and almost condemn Nehammer's efforts, and it does have a bit of a David versus Goliath flavor. Except in Nehammer's case, uh, David's actual size is akin to an ant. And in reality, even though Putin, the Goliath in the room, entertained a conversation, said Goliath doesn't quite care what the ant has to say, purely metaphorically spoken. In all, the war will likely continue, and while the rest of the world contemplates sensible steps that will not lead to World War III, the party that has no sensibility will continue its reckless and unjustified actions without being called to task. Coming out of our summary, we are taking you back to a world that was perhaps to some degree a bit more at peace. We are going pre-pandemic all the way back to 2018, where a group of students of the University of St. Thomas presented their project Coming to America at the GAI on Summit Avenue. Today, we are welcoming four of those St. Thomas students to the show, revisiting their experiences, thoughts, and lasting expressions of coming to America. I'm just going to start looking at my screen top right, and that is... Peyton, do you want to give us a short summary of uh, who you are? Yes, I'll start us off. Um, okay, my name is Peyton, and I'm an environmental science and German double major at the University of St. Thomas. Um, I'm a senior this year, and I come from Duluth, Minnesota. Nowadays, my days are pretty filled with dancing and rock climbing, and um, I'm looking forward to going to Germany next year and being part of the CBYX program. We have to talk a little bit more about that uh, little explanation of what that program actually is. Anna, welcome. Hi, I'm Anna. I'm from Rosemont, Minnesota, so right in the suburbs. Um, I'm a double major in finance and German with a data analytics minor. Um, I'm also a senior. Um, in my free time, I play the trumpet. I'm involved in brass choir at St. Thomas. Um, and I like to read. And then after graduation, I'm going to be working as a financial analyst at Miller Milling Company, which is based in Bloomington. Well, good thing you haven't figured this out yet. <laughs> <laughs> well patterned. Congrats. Uh, moving over, Laurel. Hi, my name is Laurel Bertemieu, and I am studying international business and German as a major. And then I'm doing theology as a minor. Uh, I'm also a senior at the University of St. Thomas, and I'm part of the UST Women's Choir and German Club. Um, I'm their marketing chair currently, and in my free time, I don't know, I like to watch some TV, relax. Um, I also currently work as the intern for Nassau Open Door, which uh, is part of the CBYX vocational program, so I'm currently um, part of their team, and I am planning to work at a uh, marketing company after I graduate. 
and you had a podcast. And I had a podcast. <laughs> can't, can't, forget them, can't forget about the important things. And uh, Jade. Hi, I'm Jade Hoppy. I'm a senior at St. Thomas. And like everyone else, I am a German major. Um, but I'm also a creative writing major in the English department. Um, let's see. I, I love writing. I was on the Summit Avenue Review. So that's like the local St. Thomas literary magazine. So I was one of the designers for it. Um, trying to think what else to say. I, I really like fairy tales. So I've actually done some research projects on that with St. Thomas. And I've really enjoyed that because I could bring in some German with it. So a little bit of German studies, a little bit of English analysis, and then a little bit of creative writing. Okay. Um, so yeah. Good mix. Uh, ladies, welcome. And of course, Audra, just as well. Welcome back. Good to see you. Yes, good to be back. Uh, the reason why we have this uh, esteemed panel of St. Thomas students on the cast is because in 2018, we had an exhibit taking place at the GAI. The exhibit was labeled Coming to America. The framework, I suppose, would have been that students interacted with individuals originating or originally from Germany coming to the U.S. and then exploring the stories. Many of our listening audience, not local to St. Paul, of course, uh, are going to be a little bit in the dark. So let's just start with a short explanation as to what this actually is. How did you get involved with it? And who did you interview? So basically, give us a rundown. Take us back to 2018. How did this come together? Peyton, what was it like for you? Who did you talk with? Why this project? Uh, give us the lowdown. Yeah, so Jade and I actually did this project together. We were partners, so maybe we can get at this together. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, but basically, this program was a part of my very first German class that I took at St. Thomas. Is that right? Is it our first? Yeah, or we were all freshmen. It was all like they bring you in before your freshman fall semester and they're like, here's what you want to do. We see that you have taken German and you say, yes, I'd like to take more German. And then they put you in German 300 and we walked in those doors and this was the project. So it was immediately like the moment you were in the Twin Cities. Um, yeah, and the project. So the project was we interviewed um, some German individuals, living German Americans um, within the Twin Cities. Um, and we just like got to connect with them and learn about their life and present their life to the GAI community while at the same time doing a our own independent research project to help us really understand like the context of where these stories were coming from. Um, okay. Yeah, do you guys have anything to add? <laughs> how did you how did you actually get to your interviewee? How were they introduced or connected to you? Um, they were all like GAI elders and so are. So these were people who were heavily involved in the community since like its beginning like, throughout like the last half of the last century. Because um, we interviewed Katarina and she was involved just like with a lot of the day-to-day -day stuff with the GAI. Mm -hmm. Like that, that was the group of people that we were interviewing. Um, and then as far as getting to the interview, I do not really remember. I know we have taken, we took the bus at least once. We definitely got lost. We a light rail <laughs> and we got lost. <laughs> it's, it's, been, it's been a long four years. Uh, Laura. 
Yeah, so I, it's been a while, so I need to refresh my memory as well, but I remember when we first got to class, um, like week two, we got a list of lots of GAI members who've been members for a long time and who originated from Germany, and we got to kind of pick and choose. We were put into pairs, so Jade and Peyton were a pair, I was paired with somebody named Victoria, um, I don't remember who Anna was with, but she could- I was with Krista. She was with a friend, Krista. And so we did all these teamwork um, activities to kind of decide who we wanted to choose. We got their ages, where they came from originally, and then we had to call them, which was really, really hard and really scary for us because we weren't the type to call. Um, so we had to call these people and ask and see if they were interested in being interviewed. And then luckily several of them said yes. And then we kind of set up time where we'd meet with them in person. Because back in the day, you could do that. Um, <laughs> And in so in the good old times. Right. And we would prepare questions and we would do our individual research and group research about what is an appropriate question to ask and so on. And then we would kind of learn about their stories in meeting with them every other week. Anna, did you start with a framework of questions? Uh, did you guys uh, cross-match your questions, if you will? Did you all follow the same I, path? I think there might have been basic questions that we were given and then we did like multiple interviews with them. So based on the answers you got on the first set of questions you um, got answers from, you would do more research and then you'd ask more questions based on that. Fair enough, Jade. Yeah, so um, the one thing that we learned and I think Dr. Bonger told us to this outright is when you're doing an interview, one of the most important things to do is to ask a question and then just be willing to sit there and listen. So I remember a lot of times we weren't really asking that many questions. A lot of it was just sitting there and listening and maybe like asking a little extra question to what they were already saying and then just writing down every single thing we could. I suppose that's the outcome of working with uh, what you so gently labeled the GAI elders team, if you will, that once you open the waterfall, the stories uh, really start coming and just keep going then. Would that be somewhat correct, Peyton? Yes, I would absolutely agree. I remember just being like absolutely blown away by the things that she told us about her life. And it's just a wonderful thing that, to get to share with her. So when you take us back to the actual interview, what was it like? What, uh, what stories came across? What captured you? What captivated you? Mm -hmm. um, I thought, like, so Katarina, she, she was from, like, uh, like the Yugoslavia at the time. I might not be entirely correct because it was four years ago for the exact details. Like the country lines are different now, you know? Um, so she was actually from like not Austria or Germany, which I had found very interesting at the time and was part of what my research project was on. Um, but because of the war and everything, she spent a lot of time in um, refugee camps in Austria. That's where she ended up meeting her husband. And just the stories of what that was like was really, really interesting. Um, Cause at the time, like I had recently, cause I had been in German classes throughout high school. Like we had learned about like the Syrian refugee crisis and all this con like contemporary like things happening. And it was really interesting to hear about something that happened back in like the 1950s. Um, just like the, the thing that, you know, this isn't something that doesn't stop happening. Like it, it keeps happening. There's people that are in your life 
that might have experienced part of this. It's not so far away as you might think. So when you when you go back in in time to the actual conversation, uh, Laurel, did you feel that your interviewee went to just great lengths and depth of their experiences, trying to import, I suppose, some life wisdoms, perhaps, or some additional teachings that you wouldn't necessarily get in in a formatted classroom? Absolutely. And I mean, I still talk to my interviewee. Um, she's 94 years old. She's Margot Klein. Um, and so I had called her just recently, and she's always got something to tell me. She's always got something to share, not just about what's like the hardship she's been through, but also just personal advice. Um, and I remember her telling me truly tragic and horrible stories about coming home and seeing her house was bombed and so on during the war. And those are things that I can't even wrap my head around. And you read it in a textbook or you watch a documentary on it, but it doesn't stick with you like it does when you hear it from a survivor, when you hear it from somebody who had it happen to them. When you see them talk about their dog that passed away during that, at that time, 50, 50, 60 years ago, um, they're still moved emotionally by it. And so seeing that really helped me get a grasp on what it was like back then and what hardships everybody faced. And that's something that I could never have gotten from a textbook or just from a lecture. Anna, do you feel that we may be losing those stories because they commonly exist mostly in textbooks and uh, classroom interactions, uh, perhaps documentaries that are well-developed, but that we are maybe lacking the personal connection to those who really have to tell those stories? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, I interviewed Marie Louise um, for this project. And uh, so she um, originally... she lived in what is now Poland, but it was Germany at the time. And then they, and then during World War, at the end of World War II, they fled and um, went to Berlin and they were in the Soviet side of Berlin and they fled like two more times until they eventually ended up in West Germany. And it was the kind of story that I'd never like really truly understood from learning history or watching any documentary. Um, it felt a lot more real and personal Um, when it's being told to you in that way. Um, And there's one thing that has stuck with me, you know, even four years later from the conversations I had with her, um, when she talked about being a refugee in her own country, and I'd never thought about anything like that. That's not really something they talk about in documentaries, being a refugee in your own country. Um, And that's just something that's really stuck with me all these years um, about that conversation. So to all of you, how did this project then alter or change how you went about your German major for the next four years? I mean, Anna, you sort of touched on it, but did it, how did it impact the way you went about your classwork and just the basic day-to-day things? Did it impact those things? Yeah, go ahead, Laurel. Yeah, so I think we were very, oh. My apologies, I have an ice machine and it sometimes Um. Sorry about that. Yeah, we are very, very fortunate that our professor, Dr. Susanna Wagner, she is very, very knowledgeable about history. And we had a lot, a lot of classes where we talked about those things. But being that it was our first ever class, we had that different level of respect and understanding that then helped us in our later classes, in our World War II classes, and in you know our studies about Nazi Germany and so on. 
I think we all were able to add again that personal aspect to every lecture later on. And so we're, I think we're all very grateful for that. In terms of uh, Anna, yes, please. Um, I would say also that was for most of us, I think our first experience um, in like the Twin Cities German community. Um, like I never experienced anything like that in high school. And I think that helped us be more involved with the GAI and other just German events in the Twin Cities throughout the rest of college in a way that I don't know we necessarily would have been if we hadn't met these people um, and been involved with the GAI, you know, kind of from day one um, in the German program at St. Thomas. When I, when I go back into my own uh, scholastic history, if you will, we did actually something very similar when I was in high school back in Austria in Vienna where we embarked on a mission, if you will, to talk with survivors who are, who were, of course, at that point still more present, if you will. We had more of them. Unfortunately, we are losing them far too fast and too quickly. We actually leaned uh, interviews into a recording that also capitalized on the idea of Anne Frank's diary. So we read the diary out loud in a recorded fashion, but then parsed interviews into the um, sort of intermission perspective, if you will. And when I remember, when I think back, I remember that the diary in itself, of course, is impactful and it gives you a lot to think about. But that which truly made the difference was actually talking face-to-face -face with individuals who made it out of uh, concentration camps and who really had a story to tell. Now, I try to remember my emotion back then, and of course it's been decades at this point, but uh, I think yours is perhaps a little bit fresher, uh, Peyton, emotionally. What, what was the impact? How did it feel talking to somebody who had so much to say? Mm, that's a good question. Um, for me, it was really, I think it kind of forced me to be really reflective and it was really enlightening how do I want to formulate this? Um, I guess something that like really moved me about the interview experience is that Katarina told us about her, just like her whole life. And you're just kind of like really delving into like the worst things that had ever happened to her. Um, but she was very adamant um, during all of our interviews. I think that like she is so proud of her family and the life she's built here in America and feels very fortunate to like have this community around her right now. Um, and it was just kind of like awe-inspiring to see how people can like take something so awful and then just build like, like a, a magnificent future for themselves that they're very proud of. So I think that was like a very emotional like moment for me and like something that I took away a lot from that experience. Jade, in the interview, did uh, a particular descriptive uh, situation, a particular story stick with you? Did it uh, grasp you uh, as more important than perhaps other stories that she told? Mm. I don't like, it's not like a specific, specific story, but just like how she and her husband got married and then just some of the day-to-day -day things. Because like she told us about the rations in the refugee camp in Austria and, and how many people were sleeping in a room together. And then like that was really interesting, just imagining what life was like. Because she she has she had some very good details that she gave us for it. Um and and it was just 
it kind of brought you back when you listened to it, not in the sense that I can really understand what it is, but it, it helped give me an image of what it might have been like. Anna, what was it like for you? Um, I think I, it was just really shocking to me and eye-opening to hear these kinds of stories from someone in my own community, because you don't imagine that your next door neighbor has, you know, fled from their home several different times and then moved across the world when they were very young. Um, but then you hear this story and you know, you know, Marie Louise could have been my neighbor. Um, and it just, I think it opens you up to a new perspective um, and it makes you think a little bit more about what your people in your community have gone through. Um, and it just, yeah. Just open question to everyone or anyone who wants to jump in. Do you feel that generally having background in German, German education, German language, language acquisition, that that made it a little bit easier to talk to somebody who's from there, considering, yes, the interviews were in English, but to understand the German perspective, perhaps through a German lens, uh, adapting to some form of cultural perspective, was that a factor or would it, would it have been the same outcome if you had no German background at all? from an academic perspective. Uh, let's start with Laura. I think that the stories that they all shared were just so impactful that whether we had that background or not, we would have still just been absolutely incredibly grateful, but also impressed by what they've been through. Um, however, I do think our backgrounds definitely gave us more context. We didn't have to ask little questions like, wait, when was that? Or why was that? Or how did that start? Things like that. We already had that contextual knowledge because of our past in German. Um, and I know for myself, kind of going back to the last question, but also this one, it was really hard for me sometimes to hear the stories because I have German heritage. And so in hearing Magot's story, I also started to think about my own family's story and what my uh, elders and grands, um, grandparents and so on experienced. And those are things that I didn't really think about until I started talking to Magot. Um, so yeah. Jade. Um, I almost lost what I was gonna ask. The world's very well spoken. Um, uh, what was it? In terms of I was going to lens. say the context. It yeah. was about the context. Um, because I I think in high school, I German. So it wasn't like I just came to college and all of a sudden started taking it. Um, and we always learned history. And we always had a lot of focus on like the afterwar period and then up through modern day. And in your average American history classroom, whether it's US history or world history, you just do not learn. You just do not learn about that. Um, and that like that was the history we were interacting with. And like even the immigration history in like post 1950s, like we don't really talk about that. And like we didn't, at least we didn't in my high school classrooms for US history either. So some of it was things that I kind of learned about it through our interviewee. And then other things were I understood this because I had been in multiple classes that we went over it and we talked about, like, as I said earlier, we learned a lot about like refugees in general, which isn't necessarily something that you might spend a lot of time on. Um, so even though it was a different time period, like I kind of understood like the general idea of like what was happening and how people usually like people usually were in camps, people were usually moving around a lot. There was usually some way that they were trying to get people citizenship somewhere, like that sort of thing. 
I found it quite interesting when uh, Laurel said the uh, sort of German perspective, the German lens certainly helped a little bit. But independently from that, just having had the experience uh, with individuals who've had such a uh, dramatic change in their lives, that this in, in itself was already quite impactful. So with that, and, and also looking at it from a social media perspective, where we are now everywhere at any point in time, and it's easy to essentially get with the story, that's commonly the people that are not on social media. So the question then would be, how much do we actually stand to lose once we lose those people and once we lose those stories? Because the question would be, are they actually adequately captured outside of your project? How do you, how do you feel what the future is going to give us there, Peyton? Yeah, that was some really good points. I definitely think like these stories are, in, I don't know, environmental science perspective, like an endangered species within like our common knowledge. And I think it's like, it's so tragic because like, especially like now this feels very relevant of like these stories about displacement, like in, in Katarina's case, like in terms of like displacement and violence and conflict and like what happens to these people when they're just like finding, trying to make it work like after the fact. Um, and can you say it again? <laughs> Well, the, the question. No, I the, no the, it, it was. I think you're you're going uh, in in an interesting direction here because uh, I have done a couple of interviews uh, way back when, but then also in the course of our GI podcast, uh, particularly with Fred Amram, who is a Holocaust survivor, uh, who has just phenomenal stories to tell. And every once in a while, he is a professor emeritus uh, from the U. Every once in a while, he still steps in the classroom and just tells the story. And it's interesting that when we talked, he was very clear that the impact of standing in front of people and showing them that, yes, I am still here, here is my story, has far greater impact than turning on the TV and watching some documentary, no matter how good it actually is composed. So good to hear that you feel the same from sort of the IMD listening audience when mm -hmm. Fred and the likes step up. Audra. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of trust that goes into a project like this. You all probably worked really hard to establish trust and establish some really strong rapport with these people. I mean, your projects included personal family photos, families of loved ones, like you had everything about them or everything that they would give you so what was your process in going into establishing trust and then asking such personal questions were the questions you didn't ask because you didn't feel comfortable asking them did you maybe ask more than they were willing to share what, what was that experience like for you in gathering things yeah Laurel. I know for me, it, for at first we were really nervous because there is that huge generational gap as well. And we were like, well, how can we relate to our interviewee and how are we going to find common ground to then build into these deeper topics? But it was honestly not difficult at all. Um, we The first time we met with uh, my interviewee, she just kind of told us a little bit about herself. We told her about us, you know, what we like to do where we came from, and then almost immediately she just started to tell us. And I think she already knew because we called ahead of time asking if she'd be interested. She already knew what we were there for. Um, we didn't know we'd become friends through it, uh, but 
she almost immediately started telling us where things went awry in her life and so on. And I think that's also a big part of, because when we ask, what was your childhood like? Her childhood wasn't the same as ours. And, you know, what was your first love like? Immediately, it was to a soldier or so on. And so it kind of really quickly goes into that history and that difficult stuff. Yeah. Anna, did you have a similar? Um, yeah, and I, I think also part of it is they wanted to tell their stories. Like they willingly signed up for this and they wanted people to know what happened to them. And I do remember there were also things that um, Marie Louise told me and my partner that she asked us not to include as part of the project. And there were just moments that were very personal that she wanted us to know, but she didn't necessarily want it out there for the whole public to know, um, which was a very personal thing. And it, I'm happy that she trusted us so much to tell us those things. Yeah, the good kind of off the record. <laughs> Did you have the feeling, and of course this is incredibly difficult to generalize now in terms of your response, but did you have the feeling that there was just a perhaps thirst for telling their stories, for sharing their perspective, for letting the world, even though it's a small world uh, through basically just one interview sort of type of lens, but to really share who they are and what their stories were, Peyton? Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. Um, as I kind of said before, I think Katarina especially, like just really wanted to say like, I like this happened to me and I came back to that. And since then I'm like, I'm a survivor and I built this beautiful thing. And I think that was something she really wanted to get communicated through our project. And I, I think, I hope, I think that's something that we were able to do. Um, so I definitely think, yeah, there was a thirst for that. Laurel. I think that's super interesting of a question because I had a kind of different experience. I was just amazed that my interview was so humble about her experience. You know, I would sit there and be like, wow, how did you manage? How did you survive all those things? And she was very, very nonchalant and was just like, that's how it was. You know, she always, whenever I call her, she always goes, you still want to talk to this old broad? And in her thick German accent, she's been in the U.S. for years, but she still has that thick accent. But I found that really interesting because I thought she would want to tell her story because she wants everybody to know what she's been through and how strong she is. And she honestly wasn't interested really even in the having other people know. It was just to have somebody to talk to in general. Um, and she just didn't see it as this huge accomplishment. She still doesn't see it as this huge accomplishment that we do because to her it was just her life. The project in and of itself uh, brought you in contact with the the elders of the GEI. Um, but with, with those stories slowly going away, are you going to proceed in the future to have more of those conversations? Are you going, are you going to seek out other individuals who perhaps want to leave a legacy through story, or is the project done moving on, professional lives kicking in, graduation coming up? So a lot of competing influences. But do you believe that out of your experience here that there's so much value in this that you want to continue uh, helping people create that legacy through story? Anna, Peyton, anyone who wants to jump in here? Peyton, go ahead. I can take that one. Um... 
yes, I definitely think like this is an experience and this is like a way of relating to people that I want to continue with my life. And, and as you said, like there's a lot of like professional things and like opportunities that like might be competing with that. But something I've been talking to my friends a lot about recently is that there are like so many different ways to like grow and like measure success in your life. And I think being able to like connect with people very different from yourself that are having these types of experience is like essential for like the continuation of uh, like wholesome society and where we are able to like really connect and understand each other and like find solutions to just like tra tragedy. Um, so yes, I really would like to engage in this in the future. It is not a common project, I would say, from an academic perspective. It certainly is something that breaks the mold a little bit, so kudos to uh, the entire department for actually doing that. But it also hinges on the idea that at some point you're going to have to fess up to other people and say, yes, I am studying German in college at university. What are commonly the reactions uh, of people when you tell them that you're actually studying German at, uh, at a university? <laughs> Jade. Jade. So I actually, I'm a double major and I always make sure to introduce German first because I think it kind of disarms people a little and I think that's funny because <laughs> um, they're always like, German's such a hard language. Oh, you're, that must be really hard. And I'm like, no, it's really fun. <laughs> like, I love going to class. I love all the people in our German program. I love just like practicing speaking a foreign language. I think there's a really unique joy in that. Like, I'm not closely related to anyone from Germany, but like my distant, distant ancestors were. And like, I think that's really cool. Like I get to learn about German history and sometimes I'm like, wow, that's kind of tangentially related to the people who came before me. <laughs> so it's just fun, you know? And whenever, like a lot of people seem to be very impressed by it, which I find like, I'm very like, oh, thank you. Like I feel complimented by it. Um, so yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Anna, what's it like for you when you tell somebody, hey, I'm studying German? So, <laughs> I feel like the biggest times that it's come up are when I've been in interviews for like in internships, specifically when I remember in jobs, um, I always get asked not like why finance, they ask me why German? And um, the job that I have for after graduation, it started as an internship and I'm pretty sure I got it because me and the um, interviewer, we had this conversation about how he used to um, live and work in Germany. And so we just ended up talking about it and like forming this connection over it. Um, and I think that's a cool thing about studying German is you find these connections with people that you wouldn't necessarily expect to have. Um, and I have also had similar um, experiences as Jade and people are just impressed by the fact that I am learning a language and doing, you know, something else like finance or she's doing English, things like that. You're all just uh, at the turn of graduation embarking into the working world. Uh, and yes, fingers crossed, if, if so willing. But uh, let's just assume that you're all going to successfully graduate. You're just going to knock it out of the park. What are you going to do with your German after graduation? Are there any plans, Laurel? Um, well, I'm very fortunate that I speak German at home. So I will continue using German in that sense. Um, and I also have family in Germany. So I will continue to go to Germany and do that. Um, however, I'm studying international business and 
currently I'm going to be working in a company that doesn't have any global aspects, but my dream job, my goal is to use my German in my marketing skills and use my, not only my knowledge of the language, but knowledge of the people and the culture to help, you know, target ads and so on to the German culture and population. So I really hope to continue to use my German in that sense, um, as well as just in my personal life and get coffee with all these lovely ladies and keep going to the GAI so I can keep up my German. Um, yeah. Good plans. Good plans. Uh, Peyton, what's the plan? Yeah. So <clears throat> um, I was very fortunate to be selected as a, um, a finalist for the Congress Bundestag exchange program for young professionals. So at the end of July, I'll be going to Germany and I'll be doing like a semester of study and an internship for a year. Um, so I very excited to have this opportunity because I'm an environmental science and German major. And when people hear that, they say, oh, interesting. So <laughs> this is ways. where the program yeah. comes in that you that you introduced earlier, right at the beginning of the show. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so I'm really looking forward to this opportunity to like combine those and be able to do environmental science in German in Germany and figure out how it meshes for me in my future. <laughs> Jade and Anna, let's start with Jade. What's what's the plan? What are the, uh, what are the options with your German after the fact? Well, I um, I was a semi-finalist for, for, for Fulbright, um, English teaching assistant in Germany, but I did not end up being a finalist, which is sad. Um, so I had been planning on going over there. I still am. Um, I'm actually looking and in going into like academia. Um, so I've been looking at grad schools in Germany, actually, because they are very cost effective. And I desperately want to go over there and like meet people and improve my German. So I was thinking that'd be a great way to do it. Um, and yeah, so like that was what I was planning. Because um, I'm looking at English graduate programs, literature graduate programs, and like German ones. So like a combination of the three even, which does exist. Um, Otherwise, I still want to keep going to the GAI. Like, I really love that. I just love the building. I love going to all the events. Like, I want to keep seeing all of my friends, most of whom are on this podcast, who are in the German department. Like, we always meet up and have great conversations, and we always try and speak German. Like, I just want to keep doing that. It's just a really enriching part of my life, and I wouldn't want to not have it. Anna, we did not forget about you. What's the <laughs> Yes. Um, so my job is in the flour milling industry. And actually, a lot of the machines that are used in that are made in Switzerland and Germany. If you've heard of Bueller, they're a big um, company who does things like that. So I have some German coworkers um, that I have not yet met because my job is remote, but I hope to meet and be able to speak German with them. Um, and like every um, business major who also majors in a language, I hope to work in uh, Germany or Austria. I studied in Vienna and I really love that. So I would love to go back there. <laughs> um, but I would love to go to a German speaking country and work in you know, accounting or finance. Um, and that's kind of like the end goal <laughs> with the German major. So for those of you who are not going to be utilizing your German, right now, right after college, what are you going to do to keep up with it? Or what do you do now outside of being in the classroom and chatting with your friends? Like what content do you consume? What media do you consume? How do you stay current with your language skills? Yeah, go ahead, Jade. Um, 
I will sometimes watch news, like news like clips online, because I usually like keep up with it anyway. So watching it in German kind of gives me one, another perspective. And then two, I can practice listening. Um, I also like will read these like web comics and sometimes they're translated into German. And like, cause they're like, you know, they're originally in some other language. And so I'll go and instead of choosing the English translation, I'll choose the German translation. Cause it's like, challenge yourself. Like we got to keep this up, you know, keep practicing. <laughs> and suddenly you realize that Google Translate is not quite as accurate as they portray themselves oh, to be. I, I never trust Google Translate. <laughs> like, mm -mm. <laughs> Peyton, how do you keep up? Yeah, um, so I'm a big fan of podcasts. So I have like a couple podcasts that I like circle through. Um, one that I like a lot is just like seven minutes a day and it's like Mon Learns Me Aus and they just have little little snippets of like pop culture stuff. Um, I'm gonna have to start listening to you guys, I guess, <laughs> definitely, um, just to keep up with what's going on. And I watch a lot of like Netflix movies like on a loop when I'm really feeling the mood. Anna? Um, so I like to read. So I try to read some books in German because um, the last German class that I took, we read um, uh, Tifa Fadnung um, by Kafka. And it made me realize that I can read books in German, <laughs> uh, which I'd never really tried to do before. But then I thought, you know, if I could understand that book, I can probably understand a basic fiction book in German. Yeah, you, <laughs> so you, you can read Kafka, you're good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, um, uh, go ahead. Oh. oh, that was it. Okay, that was it. Uh, so from from sort of a quote-unquote trailblazing perspective, as far as academia is concerned, uh, I would consider you at this point where organizations, institutions, universities are reducing their language programs, uh, some of them actually quite significantly, so much so that they completely do away with it. So you're still kind of in this trailblazer sort of um, position to me. What would your advice be to students who are considering, incoming students, freshmen, who are considering to, stu to study German at, at university level? Yes, no. If yes, then why? If no, then why? Are there better options? Are there other choices? Uh, I see a lot of head nodding. Uh, let's explore that. Uh, who wants to explore first? Uh, Laurel. A thousand and one percent yes. Do it, do it, do it. Not only for the personal gain of having it on your resume and being more employable and having another skill and all that, but for me, coming and doing German at UST is what kept me in school and what gave me drive and purpose because I had this incredible, incredible community. Um, like traditionally, a lot of language programs are smaller, um, but that's exactly why it's good because if you're in the big business school, you get to know a few people and then you don't ever have class with them again. But I've had class every semester since freshman year with Peyton, Jade, and Anna, and I've become incredible friends with them. And it's something that I'm super duper grateful for. And that small little community being part of them their club or getting to know the professors and going to the professors for Easter, things like that. Like that only happens in small language programs. And so for that, I am extremely grateful. And I suggest for everybody to do a language, not just because it looks good and it's good for you, but because it is incredible for your relationships and so on. 
Okay, still lots of head nodding. Uh, does anything speak against uh, or more so in support, Jade? Um, I'm going to add something that I'm sure lots of incoming college students might push back. Um, I think learning a language can be challenging. It is challenging. You have to push yourself. It's a lot about going outside of your comfort zone. Just speaking in a foreign language is outside of your comfort zone by the very nature of what it is. Um, but college is a time for you to get in contact with people who are not like you, to learn how to think in different ways. It will expose you to different like thought processes and worldviews. Um, and most importantly of all, I think, honestly, learning foreign language, it just exercises a different part of your brain that you're, once you graduate, you're rarely gonna have the opportunity to ever like devote a lot of time to that again. Um, like when you're in college, you're already in classes. Like that's, that's the time. That's the same thing with high school. I think I really encourage high schoolers to do it too, because like once you get out of that, like you have a job, like it would really be something you'd have to like push yourself even more for. It's like, I consider this to be almost like one of the easiest times for you to try and learn a foreign language because you're just so immersed in that environment. Um, and also I just think like college is a time to challenge yourself. So you should find something that you care about or are interested in, try it out. If you really don't like it, there's just move to something else. Like there's something else out there for you. And that's even true for languages, I think, because I'm sure there's people who have tried like German and then decided to go for Spanish and then people who have tried Spanish and decided to go for German. Um, it's, it, I think it's just important to push yourself, you know, that's, sure. that's why I think it's, you should do it, but. <laughs> We've been uh, up and down the ladder of, of interesting things to say and stories to tell and just uh, going back in time to 2018 to your project. But let's, let's end on a little bit of a lighter note, uh, since you're all proficient in German. What is your favorite and or quirky favorite word in German? Who am I going to put on the spot here first? Uh, let's see. Or phrase. Phrases or phrase. There you go. Laurel, since you're the uh, I speak German at home person. Yeah. <laughs> My Lieblingswort is Schadenfreude. Um, I love it. Can you I explain it? Oh, yeah. Schadenfreude in English or German? In English, ideally, because our audience is mostly Yeah, so Schadenfreude is, I don't think there's a word for that in English that directly translates, but it basically means um, getting joy out of other people's misfortunes. And I think it's a really funny word. Um, so that's my favorite word, Schadenfreude. I think the correct English translation would be, haha, kind of, yeah. yeah with it, with a whole, <laughs> there's a whole song about it from the musical Avenue Q, if you know, yeah. you know. So. Yeah. yeah, no, it's a great word. It's super funny. I love it. It's very German. It is. Yes, very is. German. Peyton. I'm still thinking. Can You're I come think? back? You can come back. We can uh, pass the ball down to Jade. Yeah, I have mine. Um, should I introduce it in German or sure. English and then just say this it in is, German? This is your okay. platform. Okay. My Lieblingsausdruck is Alles hat eine Ende, aber nur die Wurst hat zwei. I love that phrase. When I was in Germany, I found like this little like notebook thing that had it on it. And I was like, I'm buying that. So when we translate this loosely, uh, or actually rather verbatim, it comes out to be everything has an ending except the sausage has two. 
So, I think it works in English too, honestly. Like we should make it a thing. <laughs> <laughs> we, we probably should. But what do you actually associate with that? Um, I think it's like kind of optimistic, honestly. Like it's saying, you know, the end will come if it's something that's bothering you. But I, and then like, I don't know, for me, the fact that the, the sausage is like, it has two endings. It's reminding you there's only one ending, but you know what has two endings? The sausage. <laughs> Interesting. See, because uh, the the Austrian here goes in the direction mm -hmm. of wait a minute. So there's always a plan B. There's always an alternate option uh, to arrive at a perhaps similar and or completely different ending. So everything has an end except the sausage. When you look at it, well, maybe there's another option. I can eat this thing from the other side. That's, that is a good interpretation. Like I'm not. <laughs> Haven't thought about that. <laughs> no, I like that one more, honestly. Like, I'll, I'll switch to that. You know, honestly, I've been here uh, so long at this point that I would actually have to ask a uh, person with boots on the ground, so to speak, is, hey, how, how do we use this nowadays to really be yeah. adequate with cultural development? Anna, do you have one? So I feel like another thing that happens every time I tell someone I'm a German major, they ask me to say a word in German for them. So I try to think of the hardest word to say that has the simplest meaning. So I usually use the word for squirrel, which is Eichhörchen, um, which no one can ever, like they try to say it back and it never, never works out. Um, so I think that's my favorite word just because I say it so much. And an Eichhörnchen is, pop quiz? Squirrel. Squirrel. I'm pretty sure. Exactly. Yeah. Yes, it is. And Peyton, uh, have you considered your favorite? Yeah, nothing super creative, but I always think about those YouTube videos when they're like, oh my gosh, the scariest German word ever, and all the other ones are so pretty, and it's always like Schmetterling, and they just say it really dramatically and like German, so I guess that's the one when people ask that and I throw out. Schmetterling is? Butterfly. Butterfly. Audra, you're not that far out of school. What's your favorite German word? We talked about this on the last podcast. Um, <laughs> I know, but in a different check context out, now. Check uh, out Team Q&A on Dach um, with Aaron Hart. Um, we talked about our favorite words. I think that was one of our final questions. <laughs> one of the words I like to go back to, it was based on a project I did in high school, is the word for stingray, which is Stachelrochen. Um, it is a goofy word. It is far too long. <laughs> it, is unexpected and you wouldn't really know it unless you maybe went to an aquarium because um, who's just learning about stingrays in Germany or in German class? No one, but we did. So <laughs> that's, that's the word. All right. Well, let's wrap this. Uh, four students, UST representing proudly the University of St. Thomas, uh, Peyton, Anna, Laurel, and Jade, thank you so much for being here, taking us back to 2018 to your projects. Much appreciate your time. If there's anything we need to backfill, uh, just uh, shoot us an email and uh, we'll just parse it in if need be. But I think that was incredibly wholesome. Thank you so much, guys. Thank you so much. Thank you. And as always, thank you for tuning in. This was yet another episode of Here and There, the podcast of the Germanic American Institute. It's Günther and Audra saying goodbye and thanks for listening. As always, of course, we ask you to please rate us at your favorite podcast player. And if we are not worthy of a five-star rating, please email us and tell us how we can improve to get those five stars. Our email is podcast at gaimn.org. 
that's it for this time. Until next time. Tschüss.